Hey everybody, this week we have part two of our ERP series. Last time we covered the basics of software selection. This week, Dave Trayers and John Vansel talk through implementation, strategy, and lessons learned. Enjoy. Let's jump ahead a little bit. We've, we've gone through this whole selection process and certainly we've glossed over a little bit of the complexity yeah. of the reality of that. We've done our negotiations. Uh, we've verified, you know, through uh, talking to other users of the software, and and we've we've selected, and we're gonna go do our implementation, right? Mm-hmm. So, what are some gotchas? What are some things that uh, we've just talked about? One, right, which is not uh, uh, taking the people in your company right. that know what they're the, the most about your processes and the way you work, and putting them on the project. What are some other gotchas that? we've seen that get in the way of companies to smoothly implement or migrate an ERP system. One of the things in my experience that I've, and I've come to realize this, is in these projects like this, it is as disruptive to the organization as just about anything. Uh, the, what I like to say is the human side of an ERP project is the more difficult side. It's easy to talk in terms of data, you know, the part numbers and your bills of material, give me your customer list, we can clean this up, we can set this up, you know, chart of accounts is structured this way. All of that isn't easy necessarily, but it is straightforward. It's getting people to get comfortable with the new system. I've been in so many organizations. You're talking about change management here, right? Yes, human resources kind of change management and, and really using emotional intelligence skills Empathy skills, validation skills. You have people who uh, are, are, they still, the clock is still blinking on their microwave at home. And now we're showing them a brand new interface, an interface that is 20 years in the future from the ERP that they were running. Right. And they're scared. They're wondering about, can I do my new job? They're telling me that what I have been doing, now somebody else will do because overall the process will improve if we shift rules and responsibilities around, and they wonder what's going to happen to me. They're wondering if they can bring their five-year-old in or fifth grader in to help <laughs> to, them. To, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, um, we've, I've, I've heard, even stayed, you know, some people say, if they upgrade this software, I'll just retire. Because right. I can't learn anything new. And organizations that don't address that, that don't acknowledge that, will have a much harder time getting people to, to not just participate in the project, but do things like adequately test, uh, talk about their business process to make sure that we've adequately mapped it to the system, uh, participate in training, help us write documentation, uh, and then just using the software. The worst thing to do is to say, we're going to go and we're going to upgrade our ERP system. We're going to spend a million dollars or more, spend a year, and go from point A right back to point A, and people are back to using their spreadsheets and back to doing stuff outside the system. Right. And, and that change management, uh, one of the, the ways that I've seen uh, some of our teams impact that change management is in the way they actually develop the testing because I see our teams go out and develop process flows and process diagrams with the existing people on the floor or in the office and then use those to develop the test plans and use those people to do the testing. And so all of that then familiarizes people with what's going on and why 
and, and some understanding because that that change management of the, the old way of change management of hey Monday morning you got a new system that right is, figure it out right figure it out right right, right. And, and when you think about an organization and again the typical organizations that we're working with may have 10 15 20 year old systems the people that implemented that are long gone right what you're left with is an organization who people are just trying to make the the, the system work they have a job to do they got to get stuff out the door they got to pay the bills they got to you know do invoices that type of thing right. and if the system is a hindrance because it's so old they will find workarounds so so you mentioned that right and people have a job to do but you also mentioned that you know maybe when this new system comes in somebody else does part of what yeah, you were exactly. doing uh, how 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 would you recommend that companies approach the idea that their processes are going to change? I mean, uh, there's 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 a couple schools of thought, right? One is let all of your processes uh, flow exactly as the ERP software writer envisioned, and another is to you know extend the software so that it matches your processes. How what do you think is the right way to go about that? So what I I find. Uh, like most things, there's a middle path. And, and it really starts, and you talked about it, is identifying processes. And so what, in my experience and what I think we found here at OST works really well is to go in and start talking about processes first. Uh, get those identified, and by virtue of that, by figuring out the processes, what we like to call the processes that are obvious, the happy path. You know, that order to cash, it just kind of goes. But what are all the, the side things that happens? You know, what about when stuff is returned? What if the receiving some stuff and it's damaged? What do you do? You know, find all those exceptions. And we're talking with the people who do those processes. A big difference that we've found is that we don't have a, um, have a conference room. I mean, you do have a, you typically, when you do these projects, you have kind of a war room where, where people can work. Right. But we actually identify these processes out where they're done. So we'll go out to the receiving dock and talk to the guy taking the stuff off the truck and show me your process. Let me just watch you and, and identify those. We're turning those processes into, and mapping them to how it can be done in the system. And in some cases, and this is where the middle path comes, some cases it would be better to do it as the system is defined. In other cases, there might be a reason where we want to do it different. Sounds like it might cost more money to do it that way. Is it worth it? You've got to look at it in, in, in whole. In some cases, it might make sense to do it different. And, and this is where, by having all the processes, we can start to put them end to end and see where things maybe get shifted around. Like most manufacturings, if you can drive things upstream, you know, think in terms of quality, capture your quality as early as, or your defects right. as early as possible. Um, there's the other, uh, there's another notion of, of pushing decisions as low as possible into the organization. And e new ERPs can allow you to do that. You know, and, and that's something we really haven't talked about, but an ERP system, a new one, can be a catalyst to making these big process changes. So we can say no longer will we check quality at the end because of this new ERP system. We can do it in line at the time that they're making something, right. capture it right then, and if there's a problem, address it right and, then. And we know that the sooner we capture a quality issue, the less it costs us to fix it. Right, and mm -hmm. people, people understand that. 
Right. And so the person at the end that used to be responsible for all the quality checks will see their job change. But if we do our job right, and we being not just the consultants, but the client as well, and how we communicate that, they understand how this is benefiting the whole organization and not that their job is going away, right. but it may change. Steering committee. The steering committee. Tell me, tell me about yes. this. I know well, you this have comes back to having leadership yes. involvement and so forth. And you do need oversight. Um, the steering committee, what's their role? It's, it's to manage and, and watch the budget, make sure that things are happening on time. Um, the steering committee is a communication tool to make sure all, all levels of the organization know what's going on. Uh, and I see the steering committee as... A decision-making tool because that's where I was. Yes. Wow, people can get stuck. Yes, and exactly. Somebody has to finally say, "Okay, I've heard everything, and this is what we're going to do." And I, I know the example you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I remember that. Name names. No, no, not at all. But that's what it was. What was it? They, I think it, they were going on a, a month just arguing about whether the part number should be formatted this way or that right. way. These two disparate engineering groups, and finally. The steering committee stepped in and said, you have 15 minutes to decide or I will. Right. And finally meaning way longer than it should have been. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But that's, I think, when, in that specific example, when the steering committee really understood their role and, and started driving these decisions and, and, and driving them to the, you know, saying, decide people because we need to move this along. And, and that was a pivotal moment for that team. So, so we mentioned earlier uh, a little bit, we talked about uh, developing testing scripts out of process and that sort of thing and and one of the things that I've heard our team talk about they say training is testing testing is training that's and right I think it's a great mindset to to carry in and one that the steering committee needs to to really push that's right that's right and, and it's a natural progression of when you start with um, going through the processes and initially with the ERP especially if it's if it's really new what you would what you'll see is in the first rounds of testing, it's the consultant that is doing all the driving because they know the software. And that key user, you know, that part of that team member from the client, they're watching. Over the shoulder. Over the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the first rounds of testing are always very ugly and you have errors and problems with the data and so forth. And the consultant can get in there and, and fix it and then kind of move on, documenting issues all along the way that need to get resolved. And then you, you do another round of testing after these fixes have been put in place. But the change now you'll see is that it's the key user that's doing the driving and the consultant doing the coaching. Right. And if there's, there's still problems and so forth that are getting addressed, and then we'll do more testing. And now we'll see it's the actual end user that might be doing the driving and the key user providing yes. the coaching. And this is how the testing and training are, are they're, they're linked together. And, and and what you just indicated in that answer is something we haven't really touched on, but an effective implementation is a very iterative process. It's highly iterative. Yes. You're doing the same thing in some cases over and over again and making improvements and getting it better. And, and, and not unlike what we talked about, you know, the earlier you discover a quality issue, exactly. the less it costs to fix it. The same thing goes for an implementation of uh, any enterprise software. If you are having fast iterations and you're failing fast and discovering issues and fixing them quickly, 
then you don't end up at the end with issues that require a lot of time and money to fix. But it is definitely happens over and over and over again. There's it a does. cycle to it. And in the documentation that you're developing as you go through this, because you've, you've documented a process, you've found representative data, you know, key data that you might test with and so forth. Um, you're doing screenshots. And what are you building? You're building training material. Right, absolutely. And these can become standard operating procedures. So now, well after you're alive, you have new employees, you can say, here's the SOPs, the operating procedures for this specific business process. Right. And you can go onto the test system and do these exact test scripts that it started as we were testing and validating the system and now we're using the exact same thing as training material. So, okay, so that's some good gotchas, some things to watch out for and, and uh, loaded question, you know, do you use a partner to help do these implementations or do it yourself? Yeah, that's a, that's a question, you know, and uh, it, you know, what I've seen, it's uh, companies that want to do it in-house ultimately find they don't have the bandwidth for it, you know. Um, and, and it's a struggle on the expertise it is. and experience side. It is. Yeah. You know, having a partner, having uh, a, a consulting partner, um, whether it's the software vendor as the partner or a, more a partner like OST that's, that, that is a, a partner to the vendor, uh, what you're bringing in is experience and uh, in environments different from yours. Right. And so if you're a, ma a small manufacturer, you're putting in an ERP system and you've been doing it this way forever, you're gonna tend to want to make the system do it that way. And having a partner that can come in and say, well, I may have a better idea. Right. Would, would it be crazy if we tried it this way? Because the experience and knowledge that you're using is experience and knowledge you've developed yourself. And so you're not getting that outside uh, experience coming in. You're, you're not being able to leverage uh, the experience of a team that might have, you know, 15, 16 people with right. 20, 25 years of experience doing this. Yeah. You couldn't and afford to hire those people onto your staff. No, no, exactly, right. exactly. And and you don't need them for the next 20 years. You need them to right. get through this. So you're, you're, what you're doing is you're, is you're buying their knowledge for a fixed, or renting them, basically. Uh, 20 years. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think you would implement software would last 20 years, but, but we see it all the time, don't we? We, we do. We yeah. do. We, we're supporting clients today that have 20-year or older software. And in some cases, they have a philosophy, if it ain't broke, don't break it. So, so if you go, if you look at that then and you think about uh, doing an implementation and that implementation might take, let's say, 18 months, and you're going to run that software for 20 years, Presumably, there's some stuff you should be thinking about uh, running, the running side of that, rather than the implementation side early on. Like? Well, who's going to run it? Yeah. Who's going to take care of it? Who's going to take, if, if, you, exactly. if, you, put it, uh, if, you, if you put the software on premise, who's going to take care of your servers and your storage and your network and all that? If you put it in the cloud... You know, who's going to take care of the configuring the system and making sure it's up and running and making the changes and extensions and those sort of things? They don't just sit there and run for 20 years. And, and that's the advantage of doing a cloud implementation is because somebody else, the, typically it's the vendor, is managing that for you. Right. And you're, you're hoping that they're around in 20 years, but they'll be, <laughs> you know, caring and feeding of the software, providing updates and so forth. To a specified service level agreement. Right. You can expect a certain amount of 
uptime and availability based mm-hmm. upon contractual obligations. That's right. But on the on even on the cloud, there's still that that the the the, um, the support of the application in that. So if a company, a client, does their own implementation, they typically may have some in-house expertise that can you know, provide that, that, that knowledge level, that level of support. Um, and, and they become the go-to person. So even though it's a cloud, and you don't have to worry about the infrastructure, it's still the, the, the knowledge of the application sometimes distills down to one person. What happens when that person leaves right. or retires or you can't retain them? Okay, by working with a partner, you know, and having a relationship, whether it's a third-party partner or whether it's the software vendor themselves, you can help mitigate that risk because you are dealing with somebody who is constantly up to date on the software and is working with you. And and if, you know, in 20 years, somebody is going to retire, right? And it's the one or two versus a team argument as well. Mm -hmm. If you uh, sometimes you find yourself one or two people in your company who are supporting it, and again, we're back to the, they've got their experiences and their knowledge, and, and sometimes a partner will have 10, 15, 20 people that they can share a problem out amongst that team to come up with an answer quicker, uh, maybe even a better answer. Yeah, it's, and I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without it sounding disparaging, but we've we've talked with many companies that, try to do it all inside because they say we're different right we are different you know um, I know we're a manufacturer but we're different from everyone else well I'm here to tell you after working with dozens you know more of, of clients you're not that different right they all have many times the same issues they have too much of stuff they don't need and not enough of stuff they do need right you know and and so it distills down to the same supply chain issues for example but, but there's a human element to this and the human element says if I can walk down to Fred's desk and look Fred in the eye and say I want you to do this there's a good chance I can get it done but if I got a call that's right Sally someplace on the other side of the country and ask maybe I don't have as much impact there so that that implies a really good relationship if you if a company is going to have a partner that that partner really understands their business and and we you know, have seen that where uh, we w- have worked with some clients where we understand their business better than they do right. sometimes. Um, and, and that's the value of having a, a, a partner that is, is kind of all in on supporting their clients. And there's some nuance there to using the term partner versus service provider. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree, a partnership approach makes a big difference. That's right. So We've had uh, a bit of a discussion here today. I think, uh, you know, before we, we sat down, we, we had some discussion about what were the things that we really wanted yeah. to make sure we hit on. And you, we had six of those, I think. Do you want to just kind of yeah, so let's talk through, through those? Them. Yeah, let's yeah, let's talk through them, and you can add some color. So the first one that we had written down was don't be afraid of ERP implementations. Um, but you do have to take it seriously. You do have to take it seriously. It's kind of like we were talking about. It's a cultural shock, and don't underestimate that cultural shock. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Right. You know? And like, like all mythologies, uh, there's, they're based on fact. And the, the mythologies of the companies that went out of business because they implemented an ERP, there have been a few of those, but it's been a long time since but, I've heard of one. But that's true. But just take it seriously, right? Take it seriously, and, and um, 
Yeah, and the second one was make sure a vendor shows you a demo using your data and your business processes. Right. It's, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to, if you're a furniture manufacturer, to see a demo of them assembling disk drives. Right. You know, um, so it, and, and it. Unless you're trying to get into a whole new business. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course, exactly. Um, executive sponsorship and a steering committee that works are really key uh, to a successful implementation. Right, and I don't think you could have an effective steering committee if you did not have that strong executive sponsorship because uh, they, won't, they won't pay attention. That's they'll, right. They'll go pay attention to whatever the executives are asking them to pay attention to. That's right, and, and there are going to be roadblocks, and having that executive sponsorship, you know, they say part of, you know, a great leader is to remove those barriers that, that people so they can do their job, and that is fundamental right. to, to a good steering committee. Um, we, we kind of talked about this but because of the disruption change management don't ignore that don't ignore that the, the to the to the culture uh, to the system you know all of that it needs to be thoughtful and intentional mm-hmm. yeah exactly um, it, you're, you're, you talked about our, our phrase training is testing and testing is training kind of uh, rolls off the tongue doesn't it it, it really does maybe <laughs> we, we should trademark that uh, and, and last, don't forget to plan for ongoing operations. Right. You know, okay, oh, we're live. And, and I was actually on uh, an engagement when I was a consultant, and we went live, and I saw all the consultants disappear over the horizon. Except? Except me. Right. You know? And, <laughs> well, and actually, even I disappeared. So the, the client was, oh, we're live. We're good. Everyone can go. And right. they pulled me back after, after about a month because they needed that ongoing support. Right. And what we uh, learned was that that needed to continue. And think in terms of that, you know, the, the newness doesn't go away once you say, hey, we're live with the, with the new software. Right. Um, there will be issues. And I guess maybe that's part of, a part of that. You will have forgotten something. Yes, there will be issues. And, and, and accepting that. Um, and, and, but... The good news is that, in all of my experience, there was nothing that when we discovered something after we were live that we weren't able to, to fix right. in a very straightforward way. Right. We, it's not like we had to say, oh, stop, let's go back to the old and redo it. I've never had one of those. And certainly if you, if you can take a highly iterative approach, you shouldn't be in a situation where there's something you can't fix. Absolutely, right. and, that's, and that's one thing that we, I, I didn't point out. When you're doing this iterative approach, you're starting to approach, uh, uh, they become dress rehearsals for a go live. Right. Because ultimately, you have to do a cutover in some way, shape, or form. And each of these uh, testing cycles really becomes closer to a go live scenario. So there should be no surprises when it's done. But there's a lot more that we haven't even talked about oh, yeah. here. Yeah. Communication plans and all <laughs> sorts of other things. So we've left a lot here on the table. The, definitely. So uh, Dave, um, you know, uh, OST, we're uh, headquarters here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes. And we're in an old game manufacturer, right? They manufactured games here, chess and checkers and dominoes and all sorts of things like that. So tell me, what's your favorite game? I have to say my favorite game actually is Scrabble. Scrabble. And growing up as a kid, we, we had Scrabble tournaments. And... Um, you know, in my extended family, and it could get pretty competitive with, uh, uh, and I have to, I 
say I was pretty inventive with some words <laughs> that, you know, uh, Webby was one of the classic Webby? ones. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We, we almost came to blows over that. Right. One. But Scrabble, I have all sorts of great memories of that. How about uh, you? I used to love Scrabble until I got married, and my wife consistently just wiped the floor with me in Scrabble. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I think uh, for me, I'm kind of a classic. I like Monopoly. I like a uh, game yeah. that you sit and you play for a long time and you know, maybe you, maybe you have a cocktail while you're playing, <laughs> and you laugh and joke, and it's not, uh, you know, it's it's not quite as highly competitive because everybody knows how it's going to end. The people who got Park Place and Boardwalk are going to win, and you know, uh, somebody's going to get mad at somebody. But yeah, classic, so a classic game of a traditional. Did you have yeah. your your favorite token that you oh, were? Oh, top hat, top yeah, hat, absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, my brother liked the race car. You know, that probably gives you good insight into both of us. So. <laughs> Well, David, thank you for uh, taking yeah, the time to talk with me today. It's, it's always great to see you here in Grand Rapids, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, John. OST, changing how the world connects together. For more information, go to ostusa.com slash podcast.